0: Hello, I'm Bishop Jeff Clements of the Northern Illinois Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And this is one of our continuing conversations that we're calling Talking Together. And with me today is a friend, Sue Rothmeier, who is Secretary of the ELCA. Hi, Sue.
1: Good morning. Good to be with you.
0: Thanks for coming. I appreciate you coming out uh, to uh, Rockford to have a conversation with me today.
1: I've been looking forward to it.
0: Oh, great. Thanks. so i want you to introduce yourself because there are a lot of people in uh, northern illinois who probably don't know who you are uh, as secretary and, uh, and as a, a leader in the church who are you
1: well it's interesting that you ask that because actually as i leave rockford today i'll be headed to northeast iowa which is where i grew up on a family farm yep. near Decorah. went to luther college spent a year at holden village in the mountains of washington for that one year and then ended back in grad school in the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And it was there that a campus pastor looked at me one day and said, have you thought about campus ministry? As I was actually writing my, dis- my dissertation. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I have been, I have been watching you. And so that's then how I applied to campus ministry. And ironically, uh, ended up back in Iowa, at Iowa State University, where I was lay campus minister, then at the campus in Ames for 10 years, then heard that call to come into the churchwide organization, working with campus ministry, colleges and schools in early childhood education. Then, as life kind of evolved during my time at the Churchwide organization, youth young adult also became part of my portfolio along with outdoor ministry and the youth gathering.
0: Wow. Yeah so yeah, boy you've uh, you've been a part of some of the things that impact the life of young people tremendously camp campus ministry um, you know i always list the yagum program as something else that mm-hmm. has a profound influence and then sounds like you grew up lutheran cuz if you spent <laughs> a whole year at holden <laughs> right
1: right well and also a fun piece of history is when i was in high school it was my congregational pastor at Kelmer Lutheran Church in Kelmer, Iowa, that came back from a district council meeting of the American Lutheran Church in Iowa and said, Sue, they're going to start having youth representatives on the district council. Would you be interested? And I said, sure. <laughs> and I think what that experience as a high school, so that's part of that you know, connection then too, with youth, young adult and campus ministry later, I realized the significance of that experience in my life because as much as I had been, um, you know, nurtured and developed in the faith at Kelmer Lutheran Church in Kelmer, it made me realize that there was a wider church and a wider world out there. And I think that was the beginning of that interest in that broader sense of church.
0: So today, I'd like to talk a bit about um, the roster of ministers in the ELCA. We and on the roster, we have ministers of word and sacrament, pastors, and uh, ministers of word and service. And uh, I am on the roster of word and sacrament ministers because I'm a pastor. And you are a deacon. Um, tell me, tell me what the difference between these ministries is.
1: Well. It was interesting because when I came into the office of the secretary about 10 years ago now, um, I was actually on the task force that was discerning what this might all look like as we were going forward, Uh, because there had been three official rosters of laypersons. That's what the constitution would have talked about. Um, But then as we were discerning, bringing those three rosters into one roster, there was all sorts of conversation about what should it be called? How do we distinguish it? And I think what we decided on as that task force, and I was the staff person to it, so the, the members of the task force really wanted to say that both both the Word and Sacrament roster and the Word and Service roster were grounded in the Word, and that is the, the commonality between those two rosters. Word and Sacrament, obviously, is that pastors would be then responsible for the sacramental life of the church with mm-hmm. baptism and, and the Eucharist, and that while we obviously know That pastors do a lot of service, but that the idea of word and service, that the primary vocation then of the deacon now, or that minister of word and service, is to find those points of connection between kind of church and world. And that means that some of us work primarily in the church, that's been certainly my sense Mm -hmm. of vocation during these years, but that there are other deacons who would serve in the world in various capacities. But again, that we're grounded in the word, but serve in various capacities and maybe make some of that bridge between church and world in some unique ways.
0: Yeah. So how do you see deacons uh, working? I know that in our own synod, um, well, I should tell you on my staff, we have two deacons, Mm -hmm. um, both assistants to the bishop, uh, but in the life of the synod, we have assist uh, uh, deacons who are musicians, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're congregationally based. Um, Previously, we had uh, people who were working in other areas outside the doors of the church. How do you see people working today? What kinds of uh, places will we find them?
1: Well, certainly what you described as those various ways that many of us as deacons might work within the church itself, um, whether that's at the congregational level, the synod level, or the church-wide level. But then we have people who serve as nurses. Uh, in hospital settings or perhaps yeah. chaplain's uh, programs that would live out their sense of vocation as deacon in that context and bring a particular uh, sense of themselves and, and what it is to be part, you know, part of the church, part of, part of this community of faith to their work. Um, we have people who serve in social ministry organizations in various ways. We have people who are teachers Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a variety of ways that people can be indeed called into service in the world by the church. It means that we have a a level of accountability, obviously, always, all of us, both to our employers but also to the church. And that's kind of what that unique piece is for any of us who serve, whether we're the pastor or the deacon on the roster of ministers of word and sacrament or word and service.
0: and All ministers who are rostered in a synod, have to submit an annual report to the bishop and so pastors and deacons together submit those to me um... at the beginning of close to the beginning of the year it's always fun to see the kinds of things that uh... uh deacons are doing we have one congregation in northern illinois that has uh, an associate minister who is a deacon and she is emphasizing that word aspect so she does preach in her congregation mm-hmm. But um, some people don't realize that deacons all have some kind of seminary training, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. There are those qualifications that are, that are required yeah. in order to uh, go through the candidacy process and be approved.
0: In the life of the ELCA, we have uh, four officers in the, in the structure of the church. We have the presiding bishop and a vice president, and the vice president is a lay position. Mm-hmm. And we have secretary and we have treasurer. And I'm probably most familiar with the work of the Office of Secretary simply because I was Secretary of the Senate at one time, and that was probably my first acquaintance. In those days, Lowell Allman was the uh, uh, was the Secretary. Um, his uh, his base of knowledge was a little scary to me, and I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was sitting in uh, the first floor, out just outside of the chapel at the Lutheran Center, one time. I was there for a meeting, and uh, I don't remember what year it was or why I was there. And Lowell walked by me. He was walking into the chapel to uh, retrieve something, and he said, good morning, and that was it. That was it. And then he came back, and uh, on his way out, he said, what is your second middle name? (laughs) Why would anyone in the world know that I've got two middle names? So the secretary of the church, I'm thinking suddenly, he knows the names of every pastor in the ELCA. This is a little unnerving. So I don't expect that of any secretary. But he was he was the first secretary that I worked with and, and had any familiarity with. And, of course, then um, we had David Swartling and Chris Berger and, uh, and you. And I was able to witness your election, which was a, a fine... As far as I'm concerned, it was a great day for the church because I think so highly of uh, what you do and, and how you do it. Oh, thank you. So tell me, what is it like being secretary of the ELCA, and what do you do all day?
1: <laughs> well, ironically, I too served as the first secretary of the Southeastern Iowa Senate. Wow. So I had a little taste of that uh, almost now 35 years ago as the, <laughs> as the church was beginning. Um, So when I came into the office of the secretary, I, too, learned a lot about what that office was about uh, when I came in 12 years ago, um, 10 years ago, I guess. And so then now, you know, so many times we are, of course, the keepers of the governing documents of the church. That's, I think, what everybody kind of assumes. Constitutions and bylaws are (laughs) us. (laughs) Right. But we also have so many other pieces, and I know my predecessors, speaking of my predecessors in the role, um, many of them talked about the office of the secretary being a service unit to the whole church, Mm -hmm. and I think one of the gifts of this role is being able to work with you and other bishops and the Conference of Bishops and being a member of that conference with you so that we... um, can have that good collaboration about various matters. And some of those obviously include legal matters, um, our general counsel, associate general counsel, the legal team, as well as risk management. That's part of the office of the secretary. Also, as uh, you would well know, Bishop Clements, the roster, (laughs) not just talking about what they're, what their names are or all those details. But part of the reason that Secretary Allman would have had some sensibility is because we do have access and we maintain the rosters. You're rostered in a synod, but we maintain the two rosters of the whole church. So, yes, we can look up those... (laughs) Two middle names and and be able to check on the spelling even of that and are asked to do that so that piece of the roster work is a significant portion of what we do and obviously we are the minute takers for both church council meetings conference of bishops meeting and now coming up in August the churchwide assembly yeah. so that's a that's a big task um, another piece that people might not be as aware of is that we are the oversight for the archives for the church So that's a separate building sometime. Love to have people come in and give them a tour. I've been there. Yes. And we have two archivists on staff there. And so that is maintaining the history of the church, and we get a lot of requests. But also it helps us look into the future because we can see where we have been, and then that can often be helpful to see where we might be
0: going. A lot of people don't realize, you know, that the ELCA came into being on January 1st of 1988, right? Yeah. I mean, we were constituted in We were constituted in, in 87. Right. 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 But there's a whole lot of American Lutheran Church history that comes before 1987. Right. right.
1: Right. And so for those predecessor church bodies, that's what we do find in the archives. And it's just a uh, my first opportunity to go to the archives wasn't until I was serving in the office of the secretary and I was uh, part of their supervision. So I got to go out and meet them and work with them and I'll... There and it's yeah it's fun to see what the documents are that have been kept and stored, and preserved yeah. throughout the hundred you know, hundreds of years of of the Lutheran Church because we've we've got records going back right. uh, you know a, a long time, and then the other piece of our work is that we also are the meetings team so hmm. uh, meetings are us as well yeah. and so obviously that's been a very different. Uh, way of working these past two years during the pandemic Uh, i think we've been able to help synods and others do some of that shifting as we've gone to a much more online kind of way of meeting and we've learned a lot even though zoom can be tiresome we've learned what a what a skill and what a gift zoom has been during uh these past two years and that's something that will continue but also it's also been really good now to see some People coming back into the churchwide organization and being able to host them for various meetings, and so I've been part of a couple of gatherings just here in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah. uh, been good to to be able to be part of. I've that really piece of miss work as well.
0: People face to face. So have I. Fine. We're getting there. We're getting there. We are. We are. We <laughs> are. <laughs> Prior to my being elected bishop, I was on the synod staff for quite a few years, and uh, I thought I knew the office well. I did probably as well as anybody, but being the Bishop, you have some added responsibilities. The buck stops with you and um, there were a few surprises along the way. What about you? You worked in the office of secretary, then you were elected the secretary and the responsibilities expanded exponentially maybe. Um, What surprised you about uh, serving as secretary?
1: Well, you know, you think you know constitutions and documents,
0: <laughs> and then you realize you really need to
1: know them. And and you know, so uh, a constitution is my steady friend. In fact, I'm kind of feeling a little lost that I don't have it uh, <laughs> have it here with us today. But what I'm grateful for is, even though there are there is that different level of responsibility, and um, and it is the role of the secretary to interpret the constitution. I'm grateful for colleagues uh, in that office with whom I can confer and consult and make it a collaborative process too. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, that that I think oftentimes the office of the secretary and the role of secretary is so much about rules and regulations. That's how people view it. But I also like to talk about another R, and that's relationships. Um, and you probably know, Bishop Clements, that I'm probably one that likes to pick up a phone and call and discuss a matter Um, Because we can turn to the documents, but I think so many times it's when we kind of think together and reason together. Because not everything is laid out in the Constitution either. There are just times that there are times you have to interpret something. And so I think it's always good to be collaborative in our interpretation.
0: Well, I know you've been helpful to me when I've called you, and hopefully I've been a little bit helpful when, uh, when you have called me.
1: You know, as chair of the roster committee, that was a huge responsibility that you were willing to take on. For the conference of bishops and for that work, so I love doing
0: it. Love doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, you've you've done it well. So So thank you. So,
0: uh, are you going to still take my calls (laughs) after after I've retired and no longer in office? Will I still have your number, or will you change it?
1: In fact, you know, (laughs) yesterday I called you on my personal cell, and you when I when you. You know, when I called, you said, hi, Sue, so I think you've got my personal cell, so we're going to be staying in touch. (laughs) I've never known which number was which,
0: so now I know. (laughs) How funny. Two secretaries ago, David Swartling always described the Constitution as a missional document. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Berger had his own description. Since we were just talking about constitutions, how do you describe the Constitution?
1: The phrase that I would probably most often use is that it needs to be a living document. Uh. Um, I think that also is based in our understanding of the word, living Mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. And I think our documents of the church, as important as it is to have that collective understanding, we also need to be mindful that church and world are evolving and changing. And so how do we appropriately and collaboratively make changes that are for the good and the health of the church? So that's that's probably the phrase that you'd
0: yeah, I like hear that. most
1: often coming out of we, my mouth.
0: We've had a good example of that in the past uh, couple years because there were many congregations, not so much here in Illinois, but uh, many congregations had to make some constitutional changes so that they could have online annual right. meetings, right. which they had not been provided for, were you know regulated by a state right. um, statute or something. Uh-huh. So we've seen that yeah. as an example, a, kind of a simple yeah. example.
1: But when you said, what are the, some of the things you don't know, is when I came in during the pandemic, how much state codes helped us yeah. where constitutions might have restricted us a bit more. But because state codes were allowing for those electronic meetings, then we could, we could appropriately um, offer that as options to congregations. And one of the things that I really do enjoy doing, and we've, learn to do it online as well as when I would be at synod assemblies or go out to a synod to do it, but that we would do webinars on the model constitution for congregations and the way that I came about um, to kind of help us learn together about the model constitution is that I blocked out all the sections in gray that are required because most of the constitution for congregations is required. Right. And what I try to say about that, it's required because it really is, as Bishop Eaton would talk about, it's how we're church together. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think it talks about all four of her emphases. Um, those, those common sections of the Model Constitution talk about how we're church, how we're Lutheran, how we're church together, and how we're church for the sake of the world. Right. And I think when people hear that, it's like, oh, it's not confining me. It's more allowing me to be in communion with all of those other congregations of the ELCA and then how you choose to put together your congregation council or do some of your annual meetings we provide model language for that but that really then does rest with the congregation and then in good collaboration with the synod
0: I just love how our Constitutions start with that statement of faith, too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. That's, that's the one thing that really binds us together. It's right. our faith. Right. When Bishop Eaton was here with us, um, she said that sometimes people are surprised to know that the Synodical Bishop and, and she and, and uh, everyone who works at the tr- in the church-wide expression are members of local congregations someplace. Um, I just got to ask you, what do you enjoy most about congregational life. I'm assuming you're a member.
1: (laughs) I am. I am Emmanuel Lutheran on the uh, north side of Chicago. So that's been my congregational home for many years now. Um, Last Sunday, again, good to be together. We've been very careful about masking and protocols during this whole COVID time. But uh, last Sunday kind of felt like the community was back together in a unique way and yet with good care for one another. After worship, served on the worship committee. And worship life has been an important sense for me, both as a layperson in the church, now as deacon. I enjoy singing. That's one of my um, senses of gift, I think, and call. And also being able to serve as an assisting minister. I've served in the choir at church. But um, I'm always mindful that that gives me kind of that groundedness of both Regular worship, I, as you said, it's hard mm-hmm. sometimes. Obviously, we in our former lives before the pandemic, we were traveling a lot. And I remember one morning, a gracious congregational member, knowing that I'd been gone and assuming that it was for work for several Sundays, she came back to, up to me and she said, Sue, we missed you. It's just good to have you back instead of like, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> so that was such a gracious, uh, gracious way. But I realize that I'm inter- able to interact with people in a different way. And also it's helpful to understand um, from a congregational perspective what it means to be part of this whole church. And so I think it's where... Again, we've got this unique polity in the ELCA where we do talk about these three expressions, mm-hmm. but the, con- the Constitution is clear to talk about them being interdependent. So we relate to one another, and so I think however we can do that interconnectedness, that's what makes us a better church, and I think that's also what helps us live out our mission in the world as part of God's faithful people.
0: I just think it helps so much that you understand that as well as anybody in the church and that you're able to explain that and express it so well to us. I cannot thank you enough for spending this time with us today. I really, really appreciate it and look forward to the next few months that I still have left in office because I know I'll continue to be working with you.
1: Well, and it's been so good to be with you folks here this morning and the good hospitality. And just know that a grateful church will be missing you, Bishop Clements. You're very kind. You've been a good colleague, good friend. And I'll look forward to connecting beyond your role as bishop as we are still part of this church together. That's
0: right. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, until next time, I'm walking with you.